The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. The views expressed by the hosts and guests of the Comic Book Chronicles are the opinions of said hosts and guests. They do not reflect the opinions of the Comic Book Chronicles, the Click Nation, or the Coast Leather Podcast Network in any part. Thank you. Spoilers. Hello and welcome to another, excuse me, welcome to the last comic book chronicles of the 2021s. I know the 2021s are, are finally, finally, finally ending, folks. That's why it's a delayed reaction. Uh, this is the Comic Book Chronicles, and I am Rodicat, you can, uh, your host. You can find me at Rodicat on Twitter. You can find me at News Notes Need on Twitter. You can find me at CB Caps on Instagram. South Carolina with Columbia down the way. And the sound effects you've heard come from none other than our man in Brooklyn, 18 underscore 70 on Twitter and Instagram. What's up, everybody? And you can find this here podcast on the Cold Slither Podcast Network at CSPN.us. Do it today. You can also find us on your podcast virtual place of choice, whether it be Google Play, Apple iTunes, aka Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the Cold Slither Podcast Network SoundCloud page. You could also find us recording every Thursday night, most Thursday nights, uh, 9.30-ish p.m. on the twitch.tv slash comic book chronicles and the uh, YouTube channel of the Click Nation. Make sure to hit like and subscribe and hit the notification button. Yeah, especially on on the uh, the Twitch page, because we really want to do some things on there, uh, some more streaming and... and uh, you know, just put some more shows up uh, from the past that people might be interested in. So, yeah, hit that so we can so we can get there and do that. Uh, but, folks, this is the last show of the 2021, and I, I can't stress this enough. I am so happy this year we're going to be over. So, um, we are going to swiftly go through our impressions of. But we we said uh, Star Trek, Star Trek. Sorry, sorry, folks. The Trekkies back up. Trekkers back up. Um, Star Wars, The Book of Boba Fett, number, uh, episode one. And actually, oops, wait. Do we get a recap of that? No. Oh. Okay. I, hey, I guess. And I couldn't find one that was uh, the way we like it, which is chronological. Mm, yeah, that's, uh, I, and I would imagine they're probably not going to put this, that much into this one. Uh... So I, I, I'm not surprised by that. So let's just go into basically impressions of it. Then we won't worry about a, re, a recap so much. Because uh, I can remember, I can remember a lot of it, but at the same time, it's like eh, okay. Um, While Roddy Cat goes and gives his impressions, 
I will continue to look for one and see if there's something worth sharing. Okay. Um, that's fair enough then. So, for the most part, like, it's... I can't say that it's Mandalorian levels of, of starting, because obviously this is this is a spinoff from the Mandalorian because it's based on Boba Fett. You know, the biggest, baddest body hunter in the, um, in the Star Wars universe. You know, that is pretty much coming back into prominence, but it's also set after the events of Return of the Jedi, if I'm not mistaken, because Jabba's gone. Um, and it definitely does... Oh, thank you. Uh, it definitely does take some, uh, uh, beats from, uh, oops, uh, I knew that was going to happen. Sorry, folks. The video is a little skewed up right now. Um, there we go. Now we're back in order. But, uh, for the most part, I, I enjoyed it. Like I said, I don't, you don't really express all of every, uh, every show to kind of be, I know there are some people that do expect shows to kind of just come out the gate uh blazing and continue to be blazing for every episode that it does which is i feel like it's kind of unrealistic but also these are the days and times we live in because people's um attention levels are terrible so anyway now that we have uh this here uh recap let me see so it was called uh, stranger in strange land that was the name of the episode um and uh, we'd see uh, a kind of a walkthrough th- to uh, through Jabba's palace, which was empty. Um, but it goes up, kind of kind of goes upstairs. It, it almost felt like one of those. Uh, I don't know if you said if you've seen them. One of those uh, Star Trek um, videos that they've been putting out. Like it'll be a walkthrough of the video or, or the vehicle or some biome or something like that. Yeah, you said Star Trek again. Start, yeah, but, I don't know. That's going to happen, folks. So, my, the, so don't take it personally. So, I I love both yeah. properties, but look, I absolutely get that. I absolutely do. So, but Star Wars, yes. Um, but anyway, like I said, it's um, yeah. We so we end up uh, going through uh, walk through the driver's palace. It goes upstairs where we see Boba Fett in a in a back to tank, uh, and he's dreaming about um. I believe this is what he was uh, dreaming about his escape from uh, uh, well, the solid clip. Yeah, exactly. What I was going to say is, in broad, in the broadest terms, spoiler alert incoming, folks. Oh, yes. In three, two, one, we are spoiling at yes. least certain chunks of uh, the Book of Boba Fett, episode one. Here we go. All right. So as Roddy Cat said, you know, when we open up this scene... To, into uh, Java's now Java's former palace. Uh, basically, we encounter Boba Fett in a back the tank, and he is dreaming, and we're getting flashbacks to what we had all imagined we would never see, which is spoiler alert again: how Boba Fett got from his fate, his presumed fate in Return of the Jedi, to where we found him in the Mandalorian. That includes all of the gory details of how he escaped the Sarlacc pit. So it's worth noting at this point that this is basically taken from Extended Universe because there was a book in Extended Universe that that told how uh, how um, Boba got out of the the Sarlacc pit. Slightly different though, because okay. yeah, it's, it's slightly different because um, 
I believe he had to blow. Well, from what I remember reading, he had to blow up his armor or blow up his jetpack to get out of there. Got and, it. And causes injuries. In this case, he uses a flamethrower, but which still kind of the the you know some of the same. It ended up what ended up happening. He ended up getting injured trying to get up, get out of there. Uh, by the right. way, we got now. So we see him crawling out of, uh, uh, of the of the pit. Uh, yeah, it's worth noting that. Hold that thought. It's sure. worth noting that Boba Fett does not escape unscathed. He Correct. is not undamaged. He has sustained several hit points worth of damage in Black Pit. Not you using video game terms. <laughs> yeah, role playing, video game, same thing. Sure. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, but yeah, so he gets out. He's not. He's not case. He's found by um, a group of Tuscan Rangers. You know, they they ride single file to hide their numbers. All that good jazz. Um, oh, excuse me. No, no, no. First, uh, he's found by Jawas. Right. He yes. is. He is pillaged by Jawas. Yeah. He get, he he gets looted basically. <laughs> he he gets, he gets he gets looted by the Jawas who this take the. Can't fight back. Can't right. get up. He's just getting raided by them. Right. You can forget. This is on Tatooine, which is a desert planet, and two suns. And he's already just escaped the Sarlacc pit, so he's pretty much spent. And he's you know he was just kind of damn near dead, if not you know if not close enough. So Jawas come along, pick him up, pick off his armor, which this is going to allude to later on. Well, alludes back to the Mandalorian season two when someone else gets the armor. So, you know, we, we know what that happens from that. I doubt if they're going to re- rehash that part. Uh, right. Right. That's a, that's a mild, that's a spoiler for also, if you've gotten to this point where you're watching the book of Boba Fett, you're also need, going to need to have watched the second season of the Mandalorian and the first season as well for, for, for to boot. Because that's really uh, what ties everything together, and we see what ended up happening to Boba Fett's armor in season two of The Mandalorian, mm-hmm. and how he ends up getting it back. Um, right. That being said, um, the Jawas pick him apart. They leave. Um, some Tuscan Raiders come in. Like I said, single file. You know, hide the numbers, all that jazz. They um, they. They check and see if he's dead. I guess that's what they were doing. They were kind of poking at him, but and to come to find out he doesn't, they give him water and they take him prisoner and take him back to their camp. Um, and he's tied up next next to some Rodian who doesn't, who obviously does well, it's not obviously who doesn't last long. But if you think about any red shirts in the Star Trek universe, they don't last long. And this is a red Rodian, so <laughs> so that's funny. you can kind of take that from that. Um. Boba, you know, sees his predicament, gets gets himself untied and tries to escape. Doesn't quite go well because he gets caught by the um, gets recaught by the Tuscan Tuscan Raiders. Um, not before getting the shit beat out of him a couple of times. Now that I think about it, right? Uh, by by some of them, including this one young one who uh, kind of takes them along. Um. And actually, it might be no, 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 that's right. Uh, so then we cut from this to Fennec Shan, aka Mi, uh, uh, Ming Na Wen, aka very beautiful woman, um, wakes up, um, wakes up Boba from the back of the tank. Says, "Hey, we got company. Uh, people are there to pay tribute to him." And they go down. He gets dressed and go downstairs um, to greet the folks. Um. Let me see. 
So yeah, so uh, an envoy to the to the mayor of Mas Espa comes by, and there's a couple other people. Like there's a uh, Trandoshkin comes by with a Wookie Wookie pelt. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there was somebody right before that I can't remember, but they were they they basically gave him a, a little box of coins or some or something and and pushed off. Then the Trandosh the Trandoshkin, and then this envoy to the mayor of Mas Espa comes by uh, with no tribute at all. But basically, it says basically hints that uh, that Boba owes uh, the mayor a tribute. So. It's a reverse shakedown. Exactly. Because you know, in this case, what we're all presuming, and what Boba Fett is presuming, is that he's the crime lord, so he should be the one who's shaking down all of these um, denizens of his territory in order, for, you know, in order to receive a tribute, so that they can continue to do business on his territory, and. Uh, this emissary, this delegate from uh, the mayor, tries to turn uh, the tables on Boba Fett, and Boba's not having it. And uh, uh, soon we'll find out what happens uh, because of that. Yep. So after a little back and forth between uh, them two, the the delegate leaves, and yeah, you know, and Boba and Finnick basically say, hey, "Let's go." So they say they're pretty much walking down the street because and didn't want to get carried like Jabba used to because you know Boba wants to rule a di- in a different way than Jabba did. You know, having worked for Jabba and seen how he ruled, he didn't want to be like that. He wanted to, as he said, he wanted to rule with respect, not fear. And Finnick kind of reminded was like, you know what, fear kind of works sometimes. Um, then it goes to this can- cantina, which we see Max Rebo and, and crew. Or in his in his new crew after after the, what happened in um, uh, Return of the Jedi, he's got a new crew and and he's jamming out in there. We meet uh, Twi'lek uh, in the form of Jennifer Beals, who owns the place. Which I see they didn't really do any makeup on her. They just basically was like, well, they gave her the the, the headdress and it was like, right, you know, go with your go with your natural skin, which is not an issue because there are Twi'leks of many colors in the Star Wars uh, universe, so that wasn't it. But I was just like, oh, man, boo. <laughs> kind of want to see it, but it was good to see Jennifer Beals. Uh, anyway, so she they introduced themselves, and, you know, they get the tribute from her, and they walk back out. It, it is noticed, I guess, that uh, there are droids serving in this here establishment, as opposed to back in the Star Wars, uh, where they don't serve their kind here. Not saying there weren't droids in there, but still, you know, it's, it's a good kind of a thing. Uh, but anyway, they get their, their, they, they, they chop it up for a second. They get their, uh, get their tribute uh, in the form of their helmets full of uh, Republic coin or New Republic coins. And they leave and then they get attacked by some. We don't actually, we don't know who, the, who these folks are, but we know they have, um, they, they have uh, shields and, and, and uh, electrostaffs. Right. And parkour. Uh, skills as well. Exactly. Yes, exactly. I thought you about know, that too. <laughs> parkour. A lot of parkour going on in this battle scene mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and subsequent chase scene uh, between Fennec Shand and these uh, assa- these would be assassins. Ultimately, what we what we find out here is that someone has put a, a, a mark uh, or has marked Boba Fett for uh, elimination. And sent these, you know, guard types with these digital shields and uh, battle staves, these these shocks, the battle staves. And we still don't know at this point who has sent them, but we have a couple of suspects. Right. Ultimately, 
what we uh, what we glean, what else we glean from this uh, is that Boba Fett is still not, even though he kicked some butt. Granted, it was stormtrooper butt, but you know he did kick some butt in the Mandalorian. But when faced with a higher caliber opponent, uh, Boba's still maybe a step or two behind. Yes. And you see that he needs the aid of the back of the tank right away after his encounter with these would-be assassins. Right. So which is which is, I thought was kind of odd because we're like, yeah, he was kind of doing a little something in, in Boba Fett. I mean, in, excuse me, in Mandalorian. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that, you know, it was, it was a little bit different fight than, and plus he had a little bit more help with, you know, Finnick and, well, he had Finnick with him on this one, but and the, the, the Mandalorian in, in uh, the fights in the Mandalorian. So, it was kind of curious that, that that it was like, okay, well, this was the case. But he also didn't have all his gear with Well, I guess he did have most of his gear with him. Then. But again, like you said, he still needed back to tank because he was still kind of uh, recovering from his uh, injuries that we, we found out that he has, which is why they set that up in the beginning. Um, also, right. oh, there was a, a, one part I forgot to mention. There was two Gamorrean guards um, that came in to tribute that were from basically Jabba's old guard uh, and Boba ends up taking them back in. Uh, and Finnick was like, I don't know if that's a good idea, but okay. So, and I mentioned that because those guards end up coming in and being quite helpful in this battle that they get into. <laughs> More so than they, than they did with Luke uh, uh, in the beginning of uh, <laughs> Return of the Jedi. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, you know, the Gamorrean guards in, in Jedi... Uh, definitely did not um, quit themselves very well because uh, if I recall, one or two of them ran away squealing, you know, unfortunately, because they are pig-like in nature right. and in appearance. So um, it, it's, uh, it, it, was, it was kind of interesting to see some Gamorrean guards actually earn their keep in this issue, yeah. uh, in, in this episode, that is. So that was pretty, uh, that was pretty interesting. Mm. Uh, so... And then we're gonna kind of wind it back down with the rest of the rest of the episode with because uh, right, after, right. Yeah. the rest of the episode has has uh, Boba Fett continuing to do flashbacks to his uh, to that time when he has been taken prisoner by the Tusken Raiders mm-hmm. and he's basically ordered to uh, dig for water by 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 a young Tusken Raider. He's out there with the Rodian, with the red Rodian. And, you know, while they're looking for water, like these kind of shell things, shell creatures that store water Mm. under the, you know, and and live underneath the sand on Tatooine. A four-armed sand beast. I was like, is it four-armed or one arm and and, and four legs? I thought that was a pretty interesting design. Yeah. I was thinking Goro from uh, Mortal Kombat at first, but I was like, huh, that's weird. Right, because of the way the the creature's legs are articulated or the arms are articulated, it was very different. You know, I thought it was actually a pretty novel design, and uh, I was actually fixated on watching that part, just the design of the creature. Right. And, uh, you know, basically the Red Rodian does what a good red shirt does. You know, it, this is not Star Trek, but uh, we all know what a good red shirt does. Exactly. And, uh, and Boba is able to take down this monster and uh, defend the young Tusken Raider that has been tasked with babysitting him in the Rodian. 
And uh, when they head back to camp with the head of the sand creature, um, all of the uh, the old, the elder or the older Tuscans are impressed, and they basically uh, accept Boba as at at least an equal, and they offer him some water. Right. Yeah. And I, yeah, a couple of things to to note about that because yeah, I think I want to say the 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 dude the Tuscan that gives Boba the water is probably the father and the chief of the, the, the father of the kid and the chief of the, 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 um, this, this, um, this group. Cause you can kind of tell. Um, but also there was a moment right before this happened to where, um, Oh, okay. Um, to where they ended up on a moisture farmer and they see the moisture farmer get kind of get, get taken taken down by some uh raiders or whatever the case may be i can't remember what they were called but um and i think this is also another callback to mandalorian because i think the 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 thing that they painted on the 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 moisture farmer's door uh was something also came up in mandalorian but yeah but cutting back to the to the end of that is um um is that they get back to the camp but also worth noting that boba fett took down the creature in the same way that leia took down jabba just choking right. with the chains. So mm-hmm. that's a, probably a clear callback, I'm sure, someone, someone will, will make. Um, but yeah, but like I said, after the, they get back to the camp and, they, and they're presenting, and the head is presented and the, and the dude gives them the, the water and Bob is drinking and then the, the episode ends. So, and this, I think this is, well, this is obviously an allusion to what something that, kind of came up in the Mandalorian because when we see first see Boba, we see him as a hooded figure. We see him with a, with a, one of the sexual Raiders uh, sticks. So, you know, you can kind of take that from that is how he gets to that point, which means they're probably not. Um, I don't think there's anything else on that part outside of the fact of him finding ship Finnick, which I'm pretty sure they're probably going to next uh, episode. Um, uh, but that's it. Otherwise that, like that was a pretty good episode. Like I said, I don't know what else is like. It was, um, Understanding is that this is a seven episode series. Okay, I was wondering. And, and um, you know, I don't know how much time they're going to spend on flashbacks before they really start to delve deep into the current and future storyline that Boba Fett is going to explore in this series. Right. I hope they don't spend too much more time on flashbacks because the main flashbacks that we got in this episode were the ones that were the most important, which right. is how. Boba Fett survives the Sarlacc pit and eventually makes his way to um, where we find him in the Mandalorian. So um, anything else I think would be extraneous, um, you know, whether or not we find out more about, um, uh, you know, the, the goings on, on, uh, on Tatooine. I mean, I think that's the, uh, the gist of the show. So I think that's going to mm-hmm. be most of it. Right. So, we're not going to, uh, you know, I hope we're not going to get too much more of these flashbacks because I think it's enough. No, I mean, if anything, because I guess also worth noting, I guess, because we did get some other flashbacks early on in the show back to young Boba on, uh, well, one on Camino, two when Django died um, in episode two. And I think there's there probably a couple more, but that, but that's a bit of a, so yeah just like yeah i don't, I don't expect there'd be too much more because like I said most of the stuff that we got in this one is, is the stuff that people wanted like there's probably going to be a couple of like I said, there's, you know a flashback between there's going to be the stuff with Fennec, obviously and probably how them to 
that you know probably one more set to wear between them two. But I, I don't suspect there's going to be too much more than that because, like I said, between this and probably the next episode, is probably going to set up everything that's that's needed. But who's to say? Um, that being the case, though, we can move on to so um, talking about uh, major resurrections. And now we're not going to talk about this too much because, like, we kind of spend a, a, a lot of time on it. Just to give Roddy Katz a maroon to uh, give his thoughts on uh, the Matrix Resurrections because I believe I spoke on this last week. So I will uh, chime in when necessary, but I will let Roddy Katz uh, give his take once the spoiler bell rings in three, two, one. Spoilers for Matrix Resurrections incoming. So the funny part about it is, is it's a weird one to spoiler because there was a, I feel like I've seen another thing. We've seen another pop culture property do something similar to what the Matrix Resurrections do to this in that, hey, we're going to recount some things that happened in the last trilogy while we're going along and setting up this potential new trilogy. We don't, we don't we're not still clear on that part, but um, and it's, so it's basically a sequel and a reboot at the same time. Right. Um, and again, we have seen that in recent history, so that's, you know, it is what it is. That being said, I don't know. I feel like I have not seen the summit of issues that some people have had with this one. I am not as bothered with this one as I have been with some probably more blatant ones. Some some would say Force Awakens kind of retread old ground. Like, this one did it while acknowledging the fact you know that uh, the old ground is there. In fact, uses that old ground to set up this one. Which, if you think about the way the Matrix uh, movies ended up being set up uh, with the last trilogy, like kind of makes sense. But you're kind of wondering, hmm, why certain things happened the way they did still. Um. Uh, that being said, like I said, I, for the most part, I enjoyed it. Like I said, I wasn't as bothered about it by the flashbacks because I was watching it with somebody who I had recently watched all three of the trilogies. So just in case they kind of went a different way with it, um, but still do what they did do and, you know, kind of reference some things. And they totally did. And so a couple of people uh, showed up one very hilariously, not hilariously, one, one very uh, amusingly. Uh, showed up that I wasn't really expecting to show up uh, during during a fight scene and just spouting all kind of hipsterisms. <laughs> uh, but that was kind of enjoyable. But for the most part, like I'm not sure where they're going to go with this, but they set up something potentially interesting. But the problem is they did that with the first trilogy. They did that with the first Matrix movie, and the other two movies kind of took that in. Uh, you know, you can say what you want about the Reloaded and 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 the revolutions, like the the promise was there, but sometimes it didn't necessarily stick to landing all the great all great. So I would say the one thing I would add is that at least from what I've read, they don't have plans to go beyond this fourth Matrix movie. Mm-hmm. But you know, that, this is definitely a never say never type of situation. Mm-hmm. And also, I would say that. Um, at least in terms of where we leave the characters in this uh, in this installment of the series, that you know we kind of have we kind of have gone back to the ending of the first Matrix mm-hmm. and leave ourselves with 
an idea of what might come, but nothing concrete and nothing as, well, I don't know if they would ever decide to throw a gigantic or like a literal 12 to 6 curveball and throw in more like a Zion or uh, I forget what the name, the name, the new name. Io, okay. Mm-hmm. So they would have like another orgy scene in Io, in <laughs> uh, in another follow up sequel to this res- to to uh, Matrix Resurrection. So right. I don't know if that would be the case, but um, you know I, I I'm content with where they leave it. Uh, I get some of the metaphor that they're going with, going you know trying to attempt to 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 to, uh, to put together the allegory and the symbolism that they're that they're employing. And obviously, some of the meta shots that they take at Warner Brothers during yes. the course of the film, like literally by name. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's you know, it's an interesting mix. It's not the worst thing that you could see. I think if you ignore a lot of the the details of the plot and just kind of enjoy the ride that you're on, knowing that it's a general idea, knowing what the general idea of the Matrix is, I think is going to be, be the most entertaining way to. Uh, Take in this film, right? Yeah, like it was kind of fun. Um, like yeah, it was it was kind of fun. Actually, that just reminded me of something I need to put in the news. Um, but um, but yeah, even even the movie said of the fact that it's like yeah, we're we're basically here. Um, you know, <laughs> there are new there are basically no new ideas under the sun. Only regurgitation of ideas and this and that. I was like, okay, they're really kind of beating people upside the head with these. Uh, with these references and, you know, and callbacks and, and, you know, the fact that there's no, nothing new under the sun, that we just want more of this. And like, and like you said, uh, which is a, which is a Wachowski thing to do, you know, to kind of have these little meta commentaries, uh, like not even just in the matrix and in, in their other movies also. And like, granted, this is only one of the, the, the Wachowskis, but still, um, uh, but, um, but there's, that was a thing to be expected in, in this movie and it was there. So, you know, uh, what was your favorite character? Just out of curiosity real quick. Or who? I like bugs. Yeah. Um, obviously, well, no, I mean, not obviously, but you know, you know, Birth of Fresh Air with Jessica Henwick. Yeah. And, um, I would say, I wasn't I wasn't so happy with the Smith slash um, Morpheus melding. Uh, that was a little weird. Yeah, I didn't quite jive with that. I think that um, uh, let's see. Yeah, I think that's pretty much you know that, that, those are the characters that really stood out for me in terms, and obviously they're the ones that stand out in the script for this movie. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think that those are pretty much the two characters I think that got the most shine. I think uh, Bugs, you know, Henwick's character, you know, did a, did a bang up job. So which again, I, I, right? Which again, Bugs, Warner Brothers. Come on, folks. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that one was that was that was uh, some clear meta stuff, right? Metatextual stuff, right there. Hmm. But the good part about it, and the spoiler alert: Hey, none of the crew died as opposed to what happened in the original Matrix. Exactly, uh, and there was a couple of other crew members that I was like, there was one crew member that was like that was slightly annoying, like the the operator dude, right? Um, but the other two was like, okay, I hope these two they these two felt like they were set up to die, but they didn't because it was like the two that were that was always talking to each other, 
but I kind of mm-hmm. like them also. But yeah, definitely um, uh, Jessica Henwick's The Bugs and yeah, Yaya's portrayal of Morpheus was his own. You know, it was kind of someone someone said it was a mixture of Smith and and Morpheus, but so it's not clearly him doing Lawrence Fishburne. Which yeah, that's always good because that that could be kind of great. Oh, also, um, dude that played Smith, who just King George. Um, I was yes. partially expecting him to say, "Gee, wow," <laughs> but I knew that wasn't gonna happen. Wow! Exactly. There we go. But he was all right, actually. He 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 kind of invoked it without you know, um, w- w- without going too far into the uh, to the Hugo Hugo weaving. So, right. except for when he yelled out, Mr. Anderson, I'm like, calm down, dude. <laughs> like, take that down or not. We know you're in a coffee shop. Oh, I wasn't even in a coffee shop, but um, but I was like, take that down, dude. All right, so there's some interesting things that they employ in this movie to really ramp up the nostalgia, one of them being actual clips from the first Matrix movie. Yes. And sets, and, in a way. I'm sorry? And sets, in a way. Because they kind of reuse the the couches and the the, the the mirror and that kind of stuff, and you know, definitely, definitely. But more so, like literal like video clips from the first movie, mm-hmm. and you know, we actually see, you know, Neo, Trinity, and Morpheus from nineteen ninety eight, nineteen ninety nine, circa those years when this film was filmed, when this movie was filmed. So. Um, and another character who shows up in here that, but I won't spoil that one. Right, it's it's definitely um, it's definitely a, a, a different effect. I you know I I know that it's not a, a new effect, but it's a different effect to see that being transposed over um, you know the current day stuff, which shows the the mileage that these characters and these actors have put on over the years. So. Right. It, it's it's definitely um, uh, uh, something to behold when you're seeing them literally being referenced on screen uh, to a character that they to the same character they played twenty plus years prior. Right. Oh, it goes further than that because not only did they do that, they basically used the fact that there was a lot of video game, not even uh, imagery, but references, which also kind of surprised me because there are there were two actual. Well, there's I guess technically three with that last thing to do, but it's not. What it, whatever, but there were two Matrix video games, um, mm-hmm. and I as much video game stuff as they set up in this movie, uh, I'm surprised there there was not more going in that uh, direction, or at least reference in that direction. Like, yeah, there were some definitely right. video game things that happened in the in the uh, in the course of this movie, and they and without going into actual spoilers, but yeah, there was definitely some some. Uh, I guess life in the art, but also video game, but also you know this and, that and the other from the Matrix. In that, that was kind of like okay, this is this is quite funny, but also the restraint they, they actually didn't take from going the path of Matrix because there was like the, there was the path of Neo uh, game, and there was the MMO uh, Matrix game for a while that I kind of wonder if they referenced it just a little bit, but they did not. Um, but anyway. That being said, the one thing, I don't know if you noticed this or not, the dude that played Chad. Oh, I, yes, Chad Helsky. I didn't pick that up until later. Oh, I saw him right away because he's the director of John Wick. Correct. Right? And I didn't know so, he's been with the Matrix stuff since the beginning. You know, he was a stunt director. Right. right. So I assume, you know, like, uh, it's 
it, what it is is that I've uh, you know I'm I'm a big aficionado of the John Wick series and I've watched the um, the director commentaries. Hmm. So seeing him, so I was like, oh, it's Chad Stahelski. I I I you know I picked up on that right away. <laughs> Obviously, I knew of the uh, the Matrix connection uh, that he had, so it was nice to see him in front of the camera. Uh, you know, in in uh, in a, at least a guest role, not a feature role, but a guest right. role. Right. See, I didn't pick that up until I were like rewatched the, the the original trilogy and saw his name in the credits. I'm like, oh shit, that okay, that dude. And then, and I'd never seen him, so you know, up until after I watched this movie and saw he was that was him, you know, in the credits because right. you know, oh, there's an after credit scene, but it, it was kind of dumb, not dumb, but it was kind of silly. It's all very meta. It's yeah. all very meta. But yeah, no, it was nice to see Chad Stahelski. You know, I, mm. I'm just like, so are you working on the next John Wick movie? Hurry up, hurry up, let's go. I know, right? Like, you're doing it in between shots of this? Because, I mean, obviously he didn't have a big role, but, you know, he was kind of there in a couple of, uh, couple of spots. So, anyway, but that's uh, that's pretty much that. Um, I pretty much, I'm actually thinking about watching it again before it goes off of uh, HBO Max. Yeah, I'll probably watch it again. You know, before it goes off. That's generally what I tend to do with these genre movies that are on HBO Max for that like initial run. Mm-hmm. Try to watch them a couple times, like with the Godzilla vs. Kong. I think I watched that twice before it left. Uh, you know, but then once it came back, I watched it again just to see uh, Godzilla stomp all over Kong. Yes, as, as the big Godzilla fan that you are. Exactly. <laughs> that being said, folks, we can move on to the books of the week. And I believe we said, oh, I did get the covers for this. Haha. We're going to start off with Timeless Number One. All righty. Timeless Number One is written by Jed McKay with art by Kev Walker, Greg Landon, and Jay Leaston, Mark Bagley, and Andrew Hennessy. Colors by Marti Gracia. And letters by VCs Ariana Mayer. Mar. This issue is very much, um, it's not a one shot folks this is i believe a six issue limited series oh is it okay or is it wait, is it is it one is, no, is it a one shot i think it's a one shot oh my a one shot. i could have it was a i could have sworn this was a limited series but i'm wrong I but no i could have sworn it was i apologize i apologize because that changes my thoughts because it it, it definitely aligns even more with like that um uh uh, oh my gosh! I can't believe that the, the title of it just slipped my mind. But it's the uh, the book that um, that, uh, that 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 uh, introduced the uh, the Avengers one million BC concept. I think, was, I think that was incoming. Maybe it was either incoming or it was one of those free comic book day books. I can't remember. No, there was a one shot book that introduced all, all that stuff. And that's what this timeless book resembles. Right. I did not realize that this was a one shot, so I apologize, folks, because then yeah. my comparison is even more apt. And while um, and while uh, Roddy Cat uh, goes into his thoughts on the book, I will do some legwork on this. I, I, I can save you the legwork because I can confirm that it's definitely a one shot. All right. No, but I'm looking. I'm trying to figure out what that other one that I was referring to. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, so as Agent 7 said, this is basically, or, and as we were talking before the show, this book, uh, sets up, uh, some upcoming timelines, I mean, excuse me, some upcoming stories, uh, from, in the Marvel Universe, uh, 
um, that is coming next year. Some of the stuff we already knew because of uh, recent solicitations come out because, you know, there's some stuff that's going to start, that's going to start happening in March. So there's a couple of things that, uh, that gets teased that we don't know about just yet. And we're kind of slightly curious about, in fact, I do have an article. Uh, I'll put it in the show notes uh, that explains pretty much all the stuff that gets referenced. Um, some again, some of the stuff like we knew about because we've talked about it on the show, like the new Iron Fist that's coming. Um, uh, well, I guess they, uh, we knew some stuff going on with Ben Riley, but we did not know where he was going to end up. So, and that's another thing. Uh, Fantastic Four: Reckoning War. We knew about that because they've been setting that up in um, in Fantastic Four: Judgment Judgment Day, which is the Eternals um, Avengers X Men thing, which we had talked about in the last episode or two because we knew from the news and again stuff. Uh, that was coming out. Uh, there was a thing with the Young Avengers that gets um, teased, and so I guess they're coming back. And there's a thing with Captain America, which I won't necessarily go into. That's apparently going to happen. Um, so there's some things that all, that get cured up, and it's all under the guise of hey, um, Kang ends up getting this writer scholar dude for, uh, and takes him on a trip because he found out that this dude had written or will write um, a book about supervillains and basing it on Dr. Doom. So he's taking him, taking him with him for a week to kind of dissuade this writer scholar to not do that about Doom. Because I guess, like, as I say in my notes, I guess he's, Kane's trying to get more PR from, for himself. <laughs> Uh, or whatnot, and um, so through these travels, we found out about these various things that's come along, and that's basically the crux of it. While Kang's doing doing Kang stuff, and this we get the um, we get this whole thing from the the scholars' point of view for the most part, um, uh, until till the end, and uh, we find out there's a couple of characters actually that, that are going to come back next week next year. That's I guess our choices. <laughs> so I don't know what to say about that. Cause neither one of those characters I'm particularly fond of or care that much about. Um, but that's neither here nor there. And that's pretty much the gist of it. I'm glad. Yeah. yeah. I was about to say, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you were just wrapping it up when I, when I figured out what I was uh, looking for that Marvel legacy. Number one, it's the first appearance in flashback of the Avengers of 1 million BC. Mm-hmm. They had a wraparound, cover and it was essentially just like this issue where you know we go through um uh you know we, we essentially get like this um long longer story you know in in the sense that it's more than um it's more than uh, 22 pages we get this longer story that essentially lays out some of the highlights of the upcoming year in marvel comic stories so um, this isn't the first time we've seen something in this sort of uh, style to give us a preview of what's coming up in the next year. Right. Exactly. I feel like, I feel like we've yeah, seen it a couple of show, times. Show Roddy at the cover, he'll recognize it and be like, oh yeah, this is definitely in that vein. Right. And this is going all the way back to 2017. So, gosh, that's, it, it, you know, it feels like it was yesterday, but this is November of 2017. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, we this is not. The, I mean, that was probably the first time we've seen this, but we have seen such a similar thing happen um, a couple of times since then. Right. Whether I just couldn't 
remember offhand you know right. the titles of the books, but this is one that I remember distinctly. So, mm-hmm. so that's cool. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's I guess I well I don't know if this matters per se, but I read the that Kang the that last Kang the Conqueror uh, issue before I read this. And I guess it kind of ties, but not really. Not really. Yeah. Like, it's not like a continuation of that, but because, but I do remember seeing at the end of that, I was like, hey, Kang will return in this thing type of situation. So it doesn't necessarily tie. So that being said, you don't necessarily need read to, to need to read that to read this, mm-hmm. uh, as I'm saying. Uh, I guess with that, though, we can move on because there's not really much else to say. Thing I would say is like the conceit of time travel and how that's going to, you know, or at least the possible futures that the, that they explore in terms of what is yet to come in the Marvel Universe, uh, you know, in the in the upcoming publishing year. You know, it's um, you know, it, like we said, it's not new, but at least it gives us a chance to do um, in a story form, what used to be like in the pages of Marvel age, you know, where they use a story to tell everyone, Oh, well, this is a way for us to sell all these books and storylines to you. And, you know, put it in, put it in the form of a, a book that may, that may contain a first appearance of somebody you never know. And, and uh, as opposed to a Marvel age book. So, you know, if you're too young to remember what Marvel age is, it was just a, a monthly kind of glorified newsletter, but in the form of a comic book. And that's really what, uh, you know, that's really what we were getting um, on a monthly basis. And now we're getting this kind of preview of a year's worth of uh, Marvel stories in the form of a comic book story. Right. Uh, which kind of begs the question, like maybe they should just, well, no, not sure. I don't know if there's enough to, especially with the way news is disseminated nowadays, whether that's a viable thing to bring back Marvel Age or, or not. But um, whether this is much better, I, who's to say? Like, I'm not saying it's a good read. I'm not, it's not a bad read, but it was like, okay, yeah, sure, there you go. It teases things to come, and that was pretty much the, the gist of it. Right. And, uh, and what Roddy Cat... Uh... Uh, talked to he, we actually spoke just before the show went on basically what timeless what we what we know of uh the things that timeless teases has been or have been revealed or heavily teased and heavily hinted at in the solicit in the solicitations that go up to and through march of 2022 and since we've seen a lot of those already we have a better grasp on many of those uh, events that are teased in this timeless issue, but uh, anything that would be that would occur later in time from uh, March of 2022 is still, you know, unbeknownst to us and up for up for uh, interpretation in the pages of this timeless book. So we'll see how that, you know, we'll see what comes to pass over the next year. Yep. Uh, moving right along, though. Ooh. And if you are looking for, because uh, this was published yesterday, I don't know if you have this in the clickbait or in the news, the uh, the timeless 
uh, every Marvel 2022 event witnessed by Kang the Conqueror explained. Yes, that is in very the own, Is it in the news or in the clickbait? It's in the clickbait section. Right. Our very own Tim Dog 98 has a nice little write-up on that at, over at comicbook.com. Yeah, so check that out in the show notes. Um, so yeah, we'll move uh, right along to... No, you pick. I, I figure there's only a couple of them we got really in... Well, we got a couple in common. That's worth notable. Yeah, we've got a few in common. Uh, how about... Uh, do you want to do, uh, take care of uh, Amazing? Sure. Sure, we'll knock out Amazing Spider-Man number 83. This week's uh, installment of the uh, Beyond Ar- Beyond Story Arc is written by Patrick Cleason and also drawn by Patrick Cleason. Colors are by Maury Hollowell and Nathan Fairburn, and letters are by VC's Chris Eliopoulos. How, when was the last time you saw his name? So VC's Chris Eliopoulos and our favorite Paisan, Joe Caramagna. So as I am want to say, and I've said it early on during this Beyond story arc, we uh, see that this Beyond book has maybe not exactly been divided in half in alternating stories or alternating issues of one, one issue Peter, one issue Ben. But we definitely see that um, – they rotate who basically occupies the majority of the uh, pages in the book. And in this case, this is a more Peter centric book where we follow his uh, recovery from this radiation poisoning and his subsequent issues with his uh, powers and specifically his spider sense kind of going crazy on him as a result of the, um, radiation poisoning or radiation spike that he's received from the UFOs. And uh, he essentially tries to gut out, like literally gut out um, some of the pain that he has. And by gutting things out, essentially expels something from his body, or at least metaphorically speaking. Right. And it comes down to a flashback between Peter and well, for Peter uh, with uh, good old Ben Parker, who basically reminds him that, uh, you know, sometimes uh, there are costs you have to pay in order to, uh, and, and levels of pain you have to deal with in order to, um, to, to get things done and to do the right thing. Right. So basically the gist of the story was like, uh, Peter was in pain. He didn't want to do physical therapy yeah, without spoiling everything. <laughs> yeah. You know, but, 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 but that's basically what it was. And then, you know, everything else that agent 70 just mentioned was kind of the, the, uh, the, the okay. weaving around it, but it was yeah, all but, pretty much just like, you know, to get him to do physical therapy. No, but, but here's the thing. What, what, what Roddy cat is glossing over, which is the part that I don't want to spoil. And I still won't spoil. Is that there is there is a specific Spider-Man reason for him for Peter not being able to or not willing to go through uh, physical therapy? No, I'm not that, over. I caught it. It was just that it's just that feeling like it was framed. It it was framed as this. Like yes, I get that's a thing, but it was just kind of framed once you take it all in as 
well, okay, well, this is how you get you get from here into there, especially the way they set it up in the beginning. Right, but 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 uh, but but the, the the overall point is that there is, as I said, a specific Spider-Man reason for it, and you know uh, what it does come down to is him trying to get over that so that he can you know get his butt back into the physical therapy mode and and go through his therapy sessions and ultimately uh, you know get on the road back to recovery while we find out that. Uh, Old Ben Riley is, uh, you know, off doing whatever he's doing, and uh, his girl Janine is. What's Janine up to? I don't even know. She was she was taking a dip, and then was just thinking about Ben, you know, and thinking about being, you know, her um, her imprisonment and how it was not that much different from, you know, uh, being inside, right? Exactly. Right, right, right. We do get a guest appearance by a certain star-spangled Avenger in this issue, and I think this character is going to uh, play more of a role in uh, Amazing Spider-Man uh, going forward, at least based on uh, solicitations and covers that we've seen in solicitations over the next several months. There was one amusing part. Uh, well, I won't spoil it, but there was one uh, slightly amusing part between uh, Cap and, and Spidey. In, in their first in their interaction, he was like, "Oh, sorry, sorry, kid. You usually, you know, <laughs> you usually duck." Right. So, um, but yeah, there's that. Um, I think that's pretty much it for for Amazing Spider. I think right. there was. This, oh, the only thing I was going to say is that it does. There's a, a, an interesting parallel with Robin from this week in what uh, in kind of a thing that happens, except it comes up from a different place, but it's pretty much the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll get to that when we when we get to that. Uh, you got another one you want to throw out, or do you want to go to wrap it? Yeah, no, we can go to wrap it because a lot of the stuff we have in common, so we'll end up covering it at the same time. So mm-hmm. let me spin that up. I ain't got time to bleed. Rapid fire, folks. All right. First up is Death of Doctor Strange number four of five. It's written by Jed McKay with art by Lee Garbett, colors by Antonio Fabella, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. So the ongoing mystery of who murdered Doctor Strange takes a seeming twist here because we find out, at least we think we find out for a fact, that a good old Baron Mordo has been framed for the death of Doctor Strange, and he is at least to uh, at least to uh, a, a certain point pretty innocent. So you know that definitely goes without saying against our expectations. Talk about subverting our expectations. Yes and no, because if this had been done, like say a couple of years ago, you would almost expect to 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 figure out who uh who it was in a way okay, let's just say there's shades of mcu in the so, and also i almost expected them to go well you all did it because that's kind of the at a certain point it was like kind of felt like the way it was set up but then it kind of went away from that all right so speaking of the mcu at least what's teased in this issue is that you know we have a little conclave of the remaining warlords uh, the of the uh, the magical realms in, in in Antarctica, and Doctor Strange, Clea, 
and uh, uh, Doctor Strange, Clea, and no, no, Mordo's there already. No, I said so, magic. Dr. I thought right, right. Were... Yeah, that's the third person, right? Yeah. So yeah, magic of the X Men, and um, you know they attend this conclave of uh, these uh, magical warlords, and ultimately what is deduced by uh, Doctor Strange at this uh, meeting is that uh, a character who heretofore had played a very minor role in the comic books, I guess played a much larger role in the Doctor Strange MCU movie and shows up here as a potential suspect. And, you know, we don't know for sure. We don't know if it this is if this has been finalized. There is one more issue in this miniseries. It's a five-issue limited series. And uh, I, at least that's what I... That's, that's my understanding. There is yeah, five issues. Five, yeah. yeah, so there's one more issue left. So we will find out, in fact, who is the murderer. And we'll probably find out who... And we kind of know already because of solicitations who the next Source of Supreme is. So, And it's not long in the comics. Right. So, and I do remember them saying, I feel like I remember them saying that this was the book that they were going to say that in or that they were going to mention that in. And I, and they, if I'm read that right, I think they did without giving it away. Cause it it felt like a a throwaway line, but at the same time it was like, well, wait a minute, (laughs) but I just happened to pick up on it. So I don't know if that's actually the way they're going to go with it or not. Because as far as I know, this character is not that already. For where they are, where they usually reign, without going into anything. Anyway, uh, that's that. Yep. And uh, let me move on to the next book, Devil's Reign number two of six. This is written by Chip Zdarsky, with art by Marco Caketo, colors by Marcio Meniz, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowell. So. Um, I've been talking to Rodcat about whether or not he should read this, and I, I've been telling him that he should because it's you know it's one of the the bigger event books in the Marvel universe at this point, and it's really not um, at least in terms of execution not as bad as it probably sounds um, because it's essentially a rehash of elements of Civil War and elements of Dark Reign. But probably, uh, you know, at least in my eyes, ramped up a little bit uh, to another level because we have a different antagonist in the form of Wilson Fisk, a.k.a. the Kingpin. And we saw what he was able to do with a little bit of information in Born Again. Right? He's essentially doing that plus playing... He's doing that with several characters, not just one um, uh, man without fear. He's also doing that with other characters as well as acting the uh, superhero registration type, um, uh, which is where the uh, the comparisons to Civil War and Dark Reign come in. So uh, the heroes are trying to come up with a di- with different ways of uh, dealing with Fisk's uh, power level of power in in civil in civil government and you know there, there's definitely some back and forth between the heroes who have gone to ground in this issue um 
over what kind of tactics to use. So we'll see where that goes in the next issue. Um, this is a six-issue limited series, so we are two issues in. Next up is Robin number nine. Rodcat did read this. It's written by Joshua Williamson with pencils by Roger Cruz. Man, Roger Cruz. I haven't heard that name in ages. Um, you can definitely tell that he is still sort of adapting. He used to ape Roger, um, Joe Matarera, but now he's just sort of heavily influenced by him. Uh, it's inked by Norm Ratmund. Colors are by Luis Guerrero and letters by ALW's Troy Peters. So um, the, the gist of the point of the Lazarus Island comes to light and um, things have gone distinctly south for uh, Robin and for the plans of um, the tournament holders. But what we get here in this issue is uh, an interesting uh, you know a set of uh, a set of circumstances for uh, the battles that that go on when uh, as I said things go a little south for everything that was everything that these characters had planned uh, surprisingly Damien is able to rally these disparate group this disparate group of fighters who are essentially a bunch of loners by their own, you know, by, by their own uh, characterization and their own definitions. And he's able to kind of gather them up and, uh, you know, to fight back um, against the, against the, uh, the, the forces of the tournament holders. Ultimately, uh, a lot of this stuff is accomplished by, uh, by Damien through flashback because he's basically hallucinating his way into a new level of clarity. And he's using the an apparition of Alfred Pennyworth to do it. Hmm. Uh, right. The book ends in a really strange note, though. And I thought that is a weakness of the issue because it took me right out of what was happening. Right. I don't know how you felt about it, though. It kind of felt like it was, it was they were they were extend, they're trying to extend this thing a little longer. Um, yeah, but word, but way they seem to be went at the end of this. Yeah, I, I kind of had that sense. Right. Because I, I, you know, we had kind of reached a, a level of finality here at the end, but, you know, throw in some magic as, you know, there is some level of magic to um, the whole Lazarus pit and Lazarus, uh, you know, uh, you know the, the, the demon's head and all that stuff. So, throw in this kind of wonky, and I really mean wonky, kind of a wonky twist ending to this issue. You know, I don't know if it's real. That's that's obviously one thing that we have to question whether or not what we think happened actually happened. Well, ultimately, this is probably the weakest part of the issue. I thought it was strong right up until this twist ending, or this minor twist ending, which kind of throws us into a different direction altogether. Right. And like I said, it, it just basically felt like it was like okay, yeah. So we just weirdly like a filler arc of an anime. It was just like, it's like okay, we're gonna stop the action here, go to this other place, and then we'll send it back in a couple of issues, or in, in a couple of episode issues, whatever the case may be. You know, who's to say? All right. Um, 
All right. Uh, last but not least for me is Detective Comics number 1046. It's written by Mariko Tamaki with art by Dan Mora. Um, colors are by Jordi Belair. And letters are by Aditya Bidikar. So we have officially gotten to – we finally caught up to the point where uh, Batman is getting ready to leave Gotham City because this has been teased in lots of the Bat books. We've seen in solicitations that Batman is going to be essentially taking a, a working sabbatical over in Europe while leaving Gotham to the Bat family. And we get more insight into um, the circumstances of his departure as well as how some of his erstwhile Bat family reacts to the to the uh, the rumor at this point of what Batman is thinking of doing. So that is uh, Detective Comics 1046. All right, and that sounds like that does it for you. Yep, that is it for me. All right, so for me, um, got Aquaman, Green Arrow, Deep Target number three of, I believe this is of six. Uh, oh, wait, I think I had, did I have that? No, I do not. Regardless, uh, written by uh, Brandon Brandon Thomas, art by Ronan Cliche, or, or I'm just going to say it's Cliche. Uh, colors by Ulysses Ariola. Uh, letters by Josh Reed. Um, so basically, if you did not know, this is the teaming up of uh, Aquaman and, and Green Green Arrow. But there's also a little bit of Freaky Friday slash The Fly going on in here, um, in a way, without giving too much away. But this was pretty much the deep uh, the 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 deep exposition uh, issue uh, of this uh, miniseries because we start to get. You know, some we get the we get the definitely the, the villainous explanation of things, and we get to see how um, our heroes come into play and get to start to get into the position that they were that they've been put in. Um, in that they have switched bodies and essentially histories in a way, uh, some kind of way. But um, it, it's kind of interesting in that, I guess. Uh, but you know it gets to a point and then it uh ends and uh it will uh it will continue next issue for certain uh, let's see next book for me uh is superman 78 which is uh number 5 of 6 issues uh and if you uh if you're not aware of this if as the name will should definitely imply to you yes this is set in the world of the original superman movie the Christopher Reeves, the first Christopher Reeves movie, uh, except for a search, uh, sometime after that. In fact, just like the Batman, uh, 89 book, I believe this is, uh, well, no, this is probably a little closer in timeline than where that Batman book ends up going at this point. But, um, it, it basically introduces the world of Superman 78 to Brainiac, uh, and uh, at the end of, well, in the last issue that he, uh, Superman had been bottled up with the rest of the city of Kandor in uh, Brainiac's uh, ship uh, and left Earth. But uh, thanks to Lex Luthor and uh, uh, um, Jor-El, uh, Superman's dad, there is a, a plan hatched to, to at the very least uh, get uh, Superman to escape. And that's pretty much what happens here. And there's a fight between, or there's basically a round three between uh, Superman and Brainiac. 
uh, in this uh, issue. Uh, which also kind of was like, well, wait, I don't recall that there were certain aspects of this was like, I don't re- recall, especially based on his parents and Candor and them two tying together, which didn't seem like it was a case, but we're just going to overlook that. Um, we are spared a Brando speech. So that's a good thing. If you've seen Superman seven, eight, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, let's see. Next book is Teen Titans Academy. Number 10. So Teen Titans Academy, uh, has been going headlong into the events of future state, which is pretty much after the, um, this, the school, the, the Roy Harper school, uh, met a disastrous end. Uh, we don't necessarily, we didn't necessarily get to see what happened then, but we are starting to see what is leading up to that. And in fact, has something to do with a couple of the students, Shazam and what's been going on in the recent Shazam book, which I guess is before uh, future state, because there's, there is definitely a reference to that. Uh, but it's basically starting to, to go along into heading us into more directly into the events of what happened in future state, a couple of future state books, including the team Titans Academy one. Um, and that folks actually, while I pull up the, 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 the thing, oh, I did already. Okay. That is it for me. So clicks of the week. Clicks of the week, people. So I'm not sure if this one. Like, I got a note. We got a note from one of our erstwhile um, hosts who is not here. I don't. I'm going to assume that this is his click, or well, I, I can't assume that because he just asked a question. But um, I'm just gonna. You know what? I'm gonna give him two actually because I just thought about one. So okay. dirt mentions bounty uh, Star Wars bounty hunters from this week he basically says that he thought it was a good action piece and lacking violence which is the main character uh, who is a cyborg in the Star Wars universe more and more and uh, though the rest of the team can pound sand which from what I know uh, about this book and that because I have been kind of off and on reading it yeah I kind of agree with that assessment because violence is not necessarily I mean he's a bounty hunter so he's not necessarily good not necessarily bad you know he's like Boba Fett he's kind of do what he does to, for reasons he's got his own code or whatnot. Um, so there is that and I haven't had a chance to read this particular issue yet but um, yeah like and I'm still kind of because a lot of that war the bounty hunter stuff I'm still trying to get my way through even though mm-hmm. I've been reading Star Wars um, past that so that's that um, but so I'm going to assume that's his click, but I'm also going to, uh, I need to actually ask him about it. If he's seen this, uh, championship wrestling league, number one, did, did you see that in the, um, in the books? Oh yeah. So apparently from what I saw, uh, on comicsology, it's basically is like, um, I mean, it is what it is. <laughs> it's a wrestling, it's a wrestling book. Um, but it seemed like something like, you know, fans of wrestling might be interested in. I don't know. I have not read it and I am not the target audience of that. Um, I'm going to see if I can find a thing real quick uh, to talk about it while you get your, your click together. I think I've got my click. So okay, I'll just talk over, you know, I'll, I'll just discuss mine while you're, while you're doing this particular legwork. 
I was kind of in between here. You know, don't have too much to pick from this week. But I think that I'm going to go with uh, Devil's Reign number two. I just think that it's um, it's a it's a it's a variation of a theme that we've seen before, aka Civil War and Dark Reign, but it's just a little bit different because of the Kingpin's. Uh, the Kingpin is the one behind it; and he's the one perpetrating it. So mm-hmm. uh, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit more sinister in that streetwise way. So. Um, I'll go with Devil's Reign number two. Okay. Gotcha. So uh, let me read this from Comicsology real quick about Championship Wrestling League number one. Uh, Rags to Stitches, number one. Championship Wrestling League is the same pro wrestling action you see on your TV screen, but now slammed into your comic book pages. Uh, it says, in this issue, Jacob Holcomb versus Don Ron, which I don't believe are actual real, real characters. Uh, special appearance by CWL champion King Terrence King, and then as a main event of two other people who, again, are don't believe are are actual real folks. But this is coming from Cult Comics. Uh, it's written by Mike Spear Jr., art by Mac uh, Radowski. So I don't know if you're a wrestling fan. It looks like this is a Comicsology submit thing. So I guess this is you know uh, one of those. But we do, I believe, we do have an actual copy in. I'm not sure if we know. We do. But I saw this out there and I was like, you know what? It, our, we know a couple of, we have a couple of wrestling fans on the, uh, on the panel who are not here. Neither one of which are here, but uh, so they, they might be interested in this if they haven't seen this. For myself, I think I am going to go with, um, actually I think I'm going to go with Robin number nine. Like I kind of, in, I've been enjoying that uh, book a good bit like it's been pretty fun and it's the definitely the whole Mortal Kombat tournament thing which is is clearly uh uh taking notes from it is it's been pretty fun and even up to into this one rallying of uh Damien's rallying of the of the uh these fighters against his uh basically his his family <laughs> again right I thought it was a strong issue but for the ending that right. ending really threw me so right uh could just be just another deception uh and we'll find out that no one's gone anywhere in the next issue but you know you never know yeah no i think it's just a filler episode i think it's just filler so they can stretch this out a little bit more. that's that's my take on it. it it may not be the case but it just you don't do something like that without <laughs> without just kind of like yeah i see what you're doing like you're trying to stretch this uh stretch this arc out a little bit more so could be wrong but i doubt it all right, folks, and that is that because we didn't get anything from Tim. So we are going to move on to the news. But first, an ad read. Our first ad read of the night is for Blue Apron's meal delivery service. Blue Apron, fresh ingredients and incredible recipes delivered weekly to your door. Skip the grocery store and make incredible meals at home with Blue Apron, always shipped free right to your home. And now the listeners of the Comic Book Chronicles can get $30 off your first Blue Apron order. To place your first order with $30 off and to help keep our show free for you, go to our network website at cspn.us. That's cspn.us. Then keep, then click on the Keep Our Podcast Free link at the top of the page. From there, scroll down to the Blue Apron link and sign up for your free order. Your first order, that is. Blue Apron through cspn.us. Do it today. And now we get into the news. And we start off with the cinematic news as we do 
uh, every week about this time. Uh, first up, uh, first Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness teaser ties into what if apparently, um, and I can ha- having seen this teaser trailer, I can see that. I, uh, there's also sp- apparently spoilers in here for in this article for Spider-Man No Way Home, so I'm not going to go too much farther than that. <laughs> Next Sounds- up. The MCU is fast becoming the Wong Cinematic Universe, jokes Kevin Feige. So, um, in a red carpet interview with Marvel.com for Spider-Man No Way Home, Wong was asked about his many recent appearances and how his character was handling all the pressure. I'm okay, Benedict Wong said, with aplomb. I got an email from Kevin Feige saying it's fast becoming the WCU, as in the Wong Cinematic Universe. It's really just Wong being in lots of places uh, in the MCU, and uh, we're all here for it. Exactly. Uh, next up, uh, Shang-Chi's Simuliu addresses Doctor Strange 2 rumors. Um, oh, oops. oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Um, MCU fans believe the upcoming Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness will include a number of superhero appearances. Uh, including the eponymous hero of Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which, you know, I can see how that happens given the end of Shang-Chi, who made his debut earlier this year. While answering questions on GQ's Actually Me, uh, Simu uh, responded to rumors that he will appear in the the sequel. Uh, Quote, Even if I were in that movie, which I'm not, there is no way in hell that I would say it out loud, a.k.a. Marvel Snipers, Hashtag. Uh, that's mm-hmm. all I could say. That re- that's all I could really say, right? So, the expected answer given someone who wants to keep his job. <laughs> that's right. He's still new. And he's not one of these... Um, he's not like Alfred Molina who's been in Hollywood forever and doesn't really care about getting kicked out of the MCU. So Right. Or Tom Holland who who pretty much got by because he's young or something. And the, the fact that, you know, well, the, the, I'm sure there are other factors outside of like all right we know you're doing stuff for her. and mark ruffalo who is also spilled to beans on a couple of occasions exactly you know they um simu Liu is doing a good job of not needing a handler because right. apparently uh during no way home press they sent out uh benedict cumberbatch with uh um with tom holland and anytime holland would start to maybe approach a, a topic uh, Cumberbatch being the older and wiser uh, uh, actor between the two would uh, interject and stop Hulk <laughs> from spilling the beans. <laughs> nice. So, so being the mentor figure in real life, I guess. <laughs> right. At least in that regard. At least in that regard. Indeed. So next up, Spider-Man No Way Home exclusive Blu-ray features uh, Doctor Strange-inspired fan art. Uh, Target revealed an exclusive Spider-Man No Way Home Blu-ray release featuring fan art inspired by Doctor Strange's magic. Okay. That's actually a cool-looking cover. Um, I'm not mad at it. I don't think mm-hmm. I've seen the regular cover, but yeah, sure. If you're watching the video version, you can see said cover uh, with uh, other stuff emblazoned on it. So, there you go. Right, you uh, can pre-order this DVD, yes. this Blu-ray now. That's, what the, that's the kicker. It doesn't have a, a release date, but you can pre-order it for twenty seven ninety nine. Or on Target, on the Target website. Yeah, and if you like uh, collectible cards, you like myself, you'll probably end up doing this mess. <laughs> they probably got you. Uh, speaking of uh, No Way Home, uh, it has officially earned over one billion dollars 
in global box office. Um, and I believe it just beat out a couple of things. Thank you. Beat out a couple of things since then. Uh, it says here that uh, over the Christmas weekend, it earned uh, 81.5 million domestically and 121.4 million internationally. Um, so thank you for all you. No, I'm not going to do that. We we know COVID is still a thing. You assholes are still out there. We know some of some folks that did it for justified for good reasons. But hey, hey, hey. <laughs> we need COVID numbers to go down, folks. More than you need this movie. Because, you know, what the the records that this movie is setting and breaking are not pandemic era records. They're actually record records, like records that existed before the pandemic. And um, it's a little troubling. Uh, I'm I'm knocking on wood anytime I can so that we don't hear news that uh, a particular screening of No Way Home was a super spreader event or Mm -hmm. people uh, were sent en masse from... Uh, the theater to the hospital because of uh, a particularly bad COVID case uh, spreading itself during a showing of No Way Home. So, a particular showing, uh, yes. What's that? I said a particular showing in, in, in specifically. Right. So ultimately, <laughs> what what you know what we're uh, what we're kind of all amazed at is you know this movie is able to have that kind of uh, power over all of our wallets. Uh, despite the uh, despite the uh, the obviously the level of pandemic isn't the same as it was a year ago at this time, right. but it's still not great. And to see this movie rack in that kind of money, you know, there's a there've been a lot of think pieces and a lot of uh, um, uh, uh, thoughts being being uh, offered about the state of movies and about the state of uh, movie paying cinema goers uh you know now that uh no way home has come out in the midst of the pandemic and and smashed all these records so mm-hmm. you know we'll leave it for them for, for these people to continue discussing but uh it is a pretty amazing thing no pun intended that <laughs> uh, that this movie could get that much attention and that much uh business repeat or otherwise during the pandemic right uh, I guess the positive side of this, imagine the numbers it would have done, probably would have done just just the same, honestly. But uh, the, imagine what the numbers would have been had it not been uh, pandemic. So, but on the plus side, not good. <laughs> anyway, moving along. Um, Spider Man's Marissa Tomei wanted Aunt May to have a girlfriend. Uh, so, in a interview with Geeks of Color. Uh, Tomei was asked about Aunt May's relationship with Happy Hogan, uh, which, yeah, I wasn't too crazy about either because uh, there, there was nothing there. <laughs> anyway, uh, after praising Favreau's work, Tomei mentioned that Aunt May's relationship with Happy wasn't originally what she'd hoped uh, for for the character. Quote, unquote. At one point, uh, this was before even the idea of Happy showed up. There was a moment where I felt that it may, maybe should have been with a woman, uh, Tomei explained. Because Ben is gone, and who should she be with? And we're all kind of talking about it. And so I really wanted um, Amy Pascal from Sony to be my girlfriend. <laughs> um, I was like, no one has ever, no one even has to know Amy. Uh, I'll just be in a screen, and you'll be over there, and I'll just be like, hey, it's just a subtle thing. So, which actually, now that I think about it, they set, they kind of set up a, a, a similar thing with uh, Matrix Resolution, Res- Reservations, but we won't go into that. Mm. Uh, with a character. 
Next up. Next up, Eternals director reveals the, quote, bleak alternate ending that audiences hated. Eternals director Chloe Zhao explains why her original ending for the film was just far too depressing for the MCU. Um, Eternals is set to arrive on Disney Plus soon, and Zhao spoke to Empire about crafting the Marvel film, which has, to this point, proven divisive. Critics apparently took the film to task, and at least according to this uh, article, lambasted the film. I don't know about that. But audiences tended to respond positively. Maybe not all audiences, but giving it still gave Marvel Studios another box office hit. What is clear, though, is the movie is unlike any superhero film to date, and what ended up on the screen changed considerably along the way. So uh, apparently, in, in, uh, in short, Zhao had a very bleak ending, and it was just melancholy, which is what she's more used to than, um, you know, feeling something, with, you know, than having a hope-filled ending. But apparently it didn't go down well with audiences, so they had to redo the ending and add some more hopeful notes to it. And that's what we ended up getting on screen. Mm. Although we might uh, be seeing whatever that scene, if they actually shot it in the next story, because uh, Marvel's Eternals deleted scenes just... Uh, revealed ahead of home release uh descriptions ahead of home release. i'm not going to go into them but according to collider there'll be four deleted scenes featured in with the release of the film um uh and this article kind of goes through what those are uh and uh let's see it says here yeah we know that it's going to be on the term is going to be on disney plus uh january 12 2022 uh, but the DVD Blu-ray release is going to be on February 15th of next year. Um, and anecdotally, I would just say that I think, I feel like anecdotally, people were more positive about Eternals than negative. Um, from what I've seen. I think so too, but I definitely think there were some negative audience reactions as well. So Oh, totally. I mean, yeah, I've seen a couple of them, but like I said, for, for the most part that I've seen, you know, in my, in my purview, it was more positive than that. So, it, it is what it is. Next up, though. Is you? Uh, no, because I did uh, the, uh, the oh, same one. The descriptions. Yeah. I'm sorry. This is like a two part thing. Yeah. All right. Kingpin actor Vincent D'Onofrio reveals how the big how the blip affected his criminal empire. Okay. Let me pull open this uh, article here. So, apparently, according to D'Onofrio, Wilson Fisk survived the blip but lost some of his control over the city in the process. And now he's simply just trying to get it back. Uh, according to D'Onofrio, um, trust me, in Hawkeye, I'm playing the character as if the character from DD Survivor of the blip is now set on getting back his city. The blip weakened his crown his authority over his kingdom. Now he wants it back. He's in damage control mode. That's all Mary Mary. This is D'Onofrio on Twitter, apparently. Right. So, And he elaborated on the point while speaking with the Hollywood reporter after the Hawkeye finale. Mm-hmm. So, in a way, I can kind of see this, but at the same time, given what happened in Falcon and Woods Soldier and the potential uh, who the the the, the broker whoever was ended up may or may not have ended up being that i'm just like hmm, i i can see it but also not really 
Unless he's saying he was blipped and that what did it, because he's not necessarily saying that. And none of this is canon. I mean, none of this is known. This is just his thoughts on it. So we don't know right. one way or the other what happened to to him in the blip. Maybe maybe we'll find out at some point. We don't know. Um, AEW's Thunder Rosa. Okay, please stop. Uh, reveals awesome Marvel Wolverine uh, gear on Dynamite. So yeah, this is for the wrestling fans. Don't don't you know. Uh, apparently, there is a, a New Year's Smash edition of AEW Dynamite, which features the similar finals of the TBS uh, Women's, and I don't think that's Turner Broadcasting System. I don't know. Uh, women's Championship Tournament. It uh, goes who who's in the match, which is this Thunder Rosa person and Jade Cargill. Uh, but regardless of all of that, uh, and I saw this on Twitter. So this is basically kind of why I pulled it, was um, this uh, Thunder Rosa character in a uh, Laurie Kenny Wolverine uh, outfit that apparently she's going to wear or has worn to this thing. I don't know when this thing is, but that I saw um, last night as of this recording. So it's, it's a not bad looking fit, I guess, you know, I mean, the, the face paint on the side is, is probably not necessarily indicative, but Hey, the rest of the fits at least invokes it. And she's even got the, the, the two claws like Laura would have. So next up, Next up in video game news, new Uncharted trailer reveals the treasure Holland and Wahlberg are searching for. The upcoming Uncharted film drops a new trailer revealing the treasure uh, that Nathan Drake and Sully, their respective characters, are searching for. And, uh... Yeah. Um, They're... You know, it's an epic tale featuring pirate ships, buried treasure, ancient locations, and much, much more. Uh, I'm just scrolling through this, trying to figure out what of important to tell you folks. No, I mean, there's nothing else to really say. There's some stuff that we saw from... I've, I've watched this. Uh, we There's some stuff that was seen in previous trailers, and as a couple of other things, including Mark Wahlberg uh, in the... Um, with Sully's uh, mustache, um, so if you're a fan of the video games, that def- definitely means something to you. I mean, like I said, this this movie still looks all right. I don't. I, I will definitely watch it at some point, um, depending on where it uh, where it lands initially. So, uh, next up, though, Warner uh, Media CEO reconfirms early streaming date for the Batman. Um. So let's see, according to speaking to Vox's Recode podcast, um, Jason Killar reconfirmed that the the Batman will be made available for streaming 46 days after it hits theaters, um, April 19th, 2022. Uh, He acknowledges that it's a massive departure for the traditional release strategies of the the years past, aka this past year. Uh, Think about when movies would go show up on HBO, which is eight to nine months after theatrical premiere, which I I and eight to seventy can can attest to because we we live through those days, sometimes right. even longer than that. Uh, Way. Mm-hmm. So the Batman, but so like I said, uh, the Batman is going to show up on HBO Max forty six days after release, after theater release, which we talked about like. Uh, probably about a month or two ago that they had gone back on their previous strategy of putting stuff out day and date on uh, in theaters, which means basically that I think the Matrix Resurrections is the last one of those that happened that way. Right. So, anyway, that's that. Next. 
the newest The Batman trailer has been released, and it shows more Robert Pattinson's Bruce Wayne slash Batman, Zoe Kravitz's Selina Kyle slash Catwoman, and Paul Dano's Edward Nashton slash The Riddler. The trailer, which is titled The Bat and the Cat, uh, gives a closer look at The Riddler's plan for The Dark Knight and all of Gotham. Uh, yeah, you know, just uh, go watch it. Yeah, it was actually all right. I saw it. I watched it. Um, there's a little bit more between um, their characters. I don't know if the chemistry is there, but sure. Uh, <laughs> we'll find out until the movie uh, comes out. Uh, Naomi series premiere synopsis teases the DC hero's origin. So there's a, basically a synopsis on um, uh, CDW's Naomi show. Uh, that is forthcoming. Uh, I will not read from this said synopsis, but it is out there. And if you want to uh, check it out in the show notes, you can do so. Uh, but it definitely will premiere on Tuesday, January 11th, 2022, which is not far away, folks. I'm actually slightly looking forward to seeing this. I need to still read the um, that initial initial miniseries uh, on her. Um I think Tim said he did already or will. I don't can't remember, but regardless, yeah. Uh, but we will definitely, we may or may not be talking about that show when it when it appears when when it uh, appears, depending on interest level. Next up, next up, Sony Pictures announced that it has added a digital version of Paul Feig's two, 2016 Ghostbusters reboot to the upcoming Ghostbusters Ultimate Collection 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray set after the director publicly called out the company for originally excluding the film. A digital version of the 2016 reboot, also known as Ghostbusters Answer the Call, is now being offered alongside digital versions of 1985's Ghostbusters, 89's Ghostbusters 2, and 2021's Ghostbusters Afterlife as part of the new box set. Alrighty. Yeah. Uh, have, you, have you seen this yet? Afterlife? I have. Did you like it? It was okay. Hmm. It was okay. Let's just say I didn't go through normal me. I didn't go through normal towns. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I don't know uh, whether how my interest in I still hadn't seen the, the, the 2016 one either, so I can't really say. But yeah, I'll, I'll watch them, I guess. Last but not least in the cinematic news, Dwayne Johnson turns down Vin Diesel's invitation to join, rejoin Fast and Furious and <laughs> says, no chance I'll return. Wait, that's the wrong voice. Sorry. No chance I'll re- return. <laughs> so I guess it's not about family. <laughs> I guess it's not about family. Um, Dwayne Johnson has publicly declined. Like I said, uh, in November, Diesel extended an invitation. We talked about it on a show to Johnson on Instagram, imploring Johnson to reprise his role. Um, in the series, but in a new interview with CNN, uh, The Rock responded to the request, criticizing Diesel for forcing an invite on social media, which, yeah, I agree with that, uh, after the two had already reached an agreement in private. Because yeah, there is something about people doing things in public that they don't do in prob- that they don't do in private that irks the fuck out of me. Like you show you behind in public, you should apologize in public. And, and if you, you know, and if you've already been talking about some stuff in private, you should kind of keep it in private instead of, you know, going on social media and telling people and kind of putting, getting people behind you when you know, you got the people to do that. But anyway, that's, that is me editorializing. So, um, 
according to this, I told Diesel directly that I would not be returning to the franchise. I, I was firm yet cordial with my words and said that I would always be supportive of the cast and always root for the franchise to be successful, but that there is no chance that I would return, uh, Johnson explained. Finn's recent public post was an example of his manipulation. Uh, I didn't like that he brought up his children in the post as well as Paul Walker's death. Leave them out of it. Uh, we had spoken months ago about this and came to a clear understanding. So, and it kind of goes on from there about his uh, feelings about the, the franchise and the, such and such. As, so, I don't know. How you feel about this? <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's, there's no side to take because, basically, the, you know, we, we all laughed at what, uh, what, what Vin Diesel posted, which is just silly, you know, calling Dwayne Johnson his little brother. I'm just like, okay, that's not going to, that's not going to turn out well. But, uh, but ultimately, you know, uh, I, I've gotten a little fed up with Dwayne Johnson's um, public persona lately, especially in the lead up to his uh, promotion of um, Black Adam. Mm-hmm. Because if he thought he was insufferable before Black Adam, now that he's got his own s- superhero vehicle, it's getting worse. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, you know, like I, I, I find it hard to take sides. But at the same time, I'm like, wait a second. Yes, we all agree that. Uh, uh, Dwayne Johnson brought uh, a, a, a nice breath of fresh air to Fast Five, but let's let's be clear that Fast Five movie, the story itself, is actually what reinvigorated the franchise. Right. It wasn't just you know he played a part in reinvigorating the franchise, but they they were they were it turned into a heist movie that did one of the craziest stunts you would ever see. You know, even though a lot of it was special effects, it was, just the concept of it was insane. Right, right. Or dragging a vault through the streets of a major metropolitan city. You mean Brazil? Wait, I don't actually, I don't remember if that was actually Brazil or not. But I would say they filmed some of it in, 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 in Rio, but I think most of the street, most of the, the major damaged streets were, were staged in Puerto Rico. Sure, but it was supposed to be... Exactly right. in Brazil. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I didn't actually. Well, just, just a quick note. Like, I wasn't really crazy about it, and I agree with you about. Yeah, it was more of the story than the than, than the character. Like, okay, this just added somebody else to it, and I wasn't really too crazy about his character. I felt like he was his character was a little too overblown. They kind of toned him down since then, but he was still kind of slightly annoying. I guess I don't know. Well, no, I mean, and, and that's what he's supposed to be. But like, you know, but but I'm I'm glad Roddy Cat sees it in a, in a similar fashion. In that, you know, it was more the shift towards the, the 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 family dynamic turning them into a group of X, you know, of operatives. You know, in this case, they became a group of thieves. Right. You know, like you know, super super duper. Uh, uh, thieves that knew how to, you know, that, that all knew how to drive. Right. So, and then turn into super spies that still knew how to drive and, and steal. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. So, you know, ultimately, that's really what turned the franchise around. But, uh, you know, Dwayne Johnson seems to think it was all him. And now he's just like, you know what, I'm out. So, yeah, he got what he wanted out of it, basically. So, which, yeah. Anyway, that's that. We are going to turn our attentions over to the comic book news. 
And by the way, before we get into the comic books, can, can we uh, can we can we talk about? I'm gonna give you the close up, like really, really quick. Can we talk about this uh, dope ass shirt that Agent Seven is rocking? The, the Spider Man shirt. What the Miles <laughs> shirt is old. Yes. And yeah, it's still a good shirt though. Love that shirt. <laughs> Anywho, uh, Marvel T's huh? I, I was about to say I think this is a Midtown Comics exclusive. Gotcha. Nice, nice. Uh, Marvel teases and Avengers versus X Men versus Eternals War exploding in twenty twenty two. This is basically kind of alluding to stuff we've already talked. Well, this is definitely include, uh, um, alluding to stuff we've already talked about, including earlier with Timeless. Um, so the X Men, Avengers, and Eternals were collided in twenty twenty two. Marvel Comics has released a team- teaser image featuring the logos of all three teams, and the text "Judgment Day is coming." Uh, hinting that these franchises will clash in summer 2022. Um, so, yeah, we already, again, like I said, a lot of the stuff we kind of had already talked about in passing, but this is pretty much um, their official teasing of it, um, as it were. So, next up. Next up. So, this, is, this, is, this story involves spoilers from the Timeless book that came out this week. Marvel's Timeless teases a surprising new addition to the Marvel Universe, which in essence doesn't come from the Marvel Universe, but comes from outside the Marvel Universe itself. It comes from a character whose rights were acquired by Marvel in the last decade. Yeah, I feel like they've... Yeah, yeah, that is true. Um, And I feel like they've done something with the character a while ago, but I don't remember. I don't too much... Like, do we need another another one of these characters in the in the universe? Probably not, but you know, we'll see what they do with them. Um, uh, without giving it away at this point, even though this this article, <laughs> the tagline in this article kind of mentions something like that. Anyway, Marvel promises the death of a Fantastic Four member at their teammate's hand. Um, let's see. So yeah, and this is also something we've kind of talked about because we've talked about uh, Fantasy Four and and what they're setting up with uh, Reckoning War, and I think this is kind of this is kind of along with that. So uh, the cover and solicitation for Fantastic Four number forty two promises a battle to the death between the Thing and Mister Fantastic, with the uh, issue titled "Brother Against Brother." So we already know their history with each other and. We have talked about there was I can't remember which issue that it was that slot had um, put out like it was earlier this year that kind of sets this up, but um, it's uh, it's it is coming and I'm still kind of curious as, as to uh, what what uh, what's going to happen there, and it doesn't sound like it's the one you think it uh, is going to die, but you know, I guess we'll see. I don't know. Uh, if you're watching the video version, you see in the cover, uh, which of course, as covers tend to do, don't always go the way it looks. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, next up. Next up, uh, a Reckoning War trailer for the Fantastic Four story has been released by Marvel. Marvel released a trailer for Fantastic Four Reckoning War, or the greatest war to ever rage across the multiverse. This new Marvel Comics event coming in 2022 uh, is uh, teased in this trailer. I'm looking to see uh, release date. Yeah, it's going to be released on February 2nd. So uh, take a look at this trailer and 
see if this does not pique your interest. I, I feel like we, I don't can't remember if we talked about this when some of the stuff started kind of leaking out in the in the pages of Fantastic Four. But I feel like, and obviously it's Dan Slott writing this, so I feel like there's Dan's kind of going back to the well for another set of characters as opposed to you know his more famous one or as or before now more famous one so not to say it was, it's a bad thing but it's just like i don't know i feel like there's probably going to be some of that being said in this particular we don't know like i said there's some stuff about this we don't know and it's not going definitely not going to be the exact same thing but the fact that there's a multiversal world war going on it, you know you can you can imply some things no, I mean, I get that. But what I was also going to add, though, is Slot, in, I think, some interviews and some press pieces, talked about how this is a story that he essentially came up with as an eight-year-old and has had, finally has, has had a chance to uh, see it uh, come to fruition. And it literally is based in Marvel lore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, you know, they're probably more uh, esoteric and... and uh, uh, Kind of one-off characters that he's using, but at the end of the day, they're you know they're they're in the canon, they're in they're rooted in the Marvel universe. So, mm-hmm. so I'm curious to see where he's driving these characters because with the uh, with the with the tool of uh, Marvel Unlimited at hand, you know once you find out who it is, you can actually go back to that issue and take a look. Hopefully, it's in Marvel Unlimited and see what it is. Uh, slot is drawn from. Yeah, I'm pretty sure by this by the time this thing is dropped, it should be. I would assume. <laughs> That would be a very bad oversight if it wasn't. Uh, so, yeah, but like I said, I, I trust Slot enough. To, like I said, d- despite what I just said, I trust him enough. To, I feel like it's probably going to be pretty good regardless of what happened. But we'll see when we get there. Um, dead MCU villains are alive and well evil in um, Marvel's massive Daredevil storyline. This is basically talking about uh, Devil's Reign. We kind of talked about that earlier. So we don't necessarily have to go uh, into that. Plus, I haven't read it. Next up. Next up, Marvel fans remember Stan Lee on what would have been his 99th birthday. Uh, This would have been December 28th. And uh, if you were on social media or on the web uh, on the 28th, you definitely saw people, uh, comic book fans and professionals and and, and, and whatnot alike, uh, posting their tributes to Stan Lee on December 28th. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what made me uh, put this in here because I was like, oh, right. That was, yeah, his birthday was on the 28th. Um, also in some sad news, um, actually, well, I guess some similarly sad news but have nothing to do with comic books. Jo- uh, John Matten died, so... Right. Um, you know, I'm condolences to his friends and family, which is weird because I just saw the documentary they did on Fox Sports, and I'm not a sports person. You, this has been well established on the show, but you don't have to be a football fan or sports fan to know who John Madden is at this point, especially if you're into video games. Yeah, yeah. What I was gonna say is there are there are entire generations, plural, Mm, exactly, that do not know that John Madden was a football coach. Mm -hmm. There are shuns plural that don't even know that john madden was a television football commentator that, that's true i guess yeah all they know is the name behind the football game yes and which and is still being played 
and it's still being played. It's still basically the primary football game, the primary professional football game, a video game that is for all players. So, uh, you know, Madden's legacy uh, you know, continues and will continue to uh, spread uh, for quite a while still. Right, and that's because they they shut out all competition uh, for said video for football video games. Not having to do with the, the fact that it's any good. It's just that that's the only one because <laughs> licensing. Shout out ESPN NFL two K five two K fifteen. Oh man, yeah, two. You know, you, you're right. Oh five. Yeah. yeah, man, that was that was such a great one too. <laughs> and twenty bucks. Anyway, we didn't talk about it. That's another show for another for another time. Hey, I played that. I had it. Yeah, I still got it. Yeah, that that junk. Like I said, that was probably the last one I actually ever played because I was like, "Fuck Madden!" After that. Um, but anywho, um, Stanley, you know, you, you love him, you miss him. Uh, and more sad news. Uh, probably lesser known new news. Um, artist Ryan Bodenheim dies Just at forty four because of age. Exactly. Yeah, go ahead. Exactly, dies at forty four. So Ryan Bodie Bodenheim has, has died in '44. He was a frequent collabor- He frequently collaborated with Jonathan Hickman on creator-owned titles at Image Comics, such as uh, A Red Mask for Mars, The Dying and the Dead, and Secret. Uh, he's also known for his valiant comics work on titles such as Bloodshot, Ninjack, or some would say Ninja K, uh, 4001 AD, and in, uh, Eternal Warrior. His Marvel Comics works include contributions to Black Panther. Um, recently, Marvel announced Bodenheim as the artist for the upcoming Eternals one shot, uh, Eternals Do You Undying Number One, which I believe is out already. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, wasn't that the last one that came out? I can't remember. I'm not sure. Yeah, regardless. Uh, so whether it's out or, or not, it's, it's it's there. Um, working with Kieran Gillen, uh, Bodenheim is survived by his mother, uh, Susan Avery, children, Jack and Lily, and his brothers, David and Jonathan. So the family is asking for charitable charitable donations instead of flowers to the um, to the hero initiative or a cause of the donor's choosing, and then below uh, the rest is the uh, obituary uh, in this article, which you can read uh, for yourself. I don't believe it says it probably says what he what he uh, maybe not, but anyway, you can read it for yourself. Next up. Next. Up, uh, Comixology is running a deep discount on Marvel Masterworks with the Marvel Masterworks sale. There are 20, 285, that is, 285 items on sale now with first volumes just 99 cents and the other volumes at $1.99. You can save up to 94% on the collections. This is a great opportunity to read some classic Marvel comics. The sale ends this Monday, January 3rd, at uh, Monday, January 3rd, 2022. So get on this. If you're trying to get on it, hopefully you catch this live uh, uh, because uh, by the time our episode comes out, it might be too late for you. Probably. Um, the way things have been going lately. Um, the, the Access Guide to the Black Comics Community returns to spotlight increased industry diversity. Uh, the second volume of the Access Guide to the Black Comics Community is now in the process of getting crowdfunded on Kickstarter. Uh, the campaign aims to update the project with new creators, stories, I guess that's stories, or stores. I guess that's stores? I don't know. Um, and projects that are quickly springing up as the black community uh, continues to carve out a unique spot within the comics in- industry. I would go ahead and add it's not necessarily a unique spot, just the one that should be uh, more common. 
uh, heavy metal editor Joe Illich, um, uh, George Carmonia, Carmona III, and the owner of Anyone Comics Store in Brooklyn, uh, all returned for the second book. So, I uh, don't know when this is coming out, but you can go check out the, um, you can go check it out uh, in the link in the show notes. Which, uh, this is my first time hearing about the book, so I'm going to have to check that out. Uh, or at least if it's still available. Next up, though. Seven free DC comics to get you in the holiday spirit. Uh, all you need to do is create an account at DC Universe Infinite. And uh, you don't need to provide any payment details. The, Hollywood, the holiday issues available to you for free on DC Universe Infinite are Batman Noel, DC Rebirth Holiday Special, DC's Very Merry Christmas Multiverse, DC Nuclear Winter Special, Swamp Thing Winter Special, Green Lantern, Larfley's Christmas Special, and Harley Quinn Holiday Special. Okay. So, yeah, check that out as your leisure. Um, a major Superman threat is forming their own just uh, League of League of Doom. Excuse me, not Justice League. Um, I want to say this might be uh, according to this um, cover. The um, spoilers for this week's book, but it doesn't necessarily say here. Um, Justice League is heading for a rematch against the supervillain Lothbiathan, and the criminal mastermind is quickly recruiting a team of familiar foes to help him even the odds against the DC's uh, DC Universe's mightiest heroes. Uh, after the former man uh, manhunter Mark Shaw first broke bad during the during Michael, Brian Michael Bendis' Superman run and created the Leviathan superhero persona, he is back to minister the entire Justice League in Bendis' final Justice League story arc. Uh, Leviathan has helped the Royal Flush Gang come, become a much more ambitious group of supervillains, which that's from this week's uh, book, now that I'm thinking about it, uh, with the team stealing the entire Fortress of Solitude rather than sticking with their usual set of smash-and-grab heists. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, yes, and this is a preview for Justice League 70, which is out this week. So, Next up, last but not least. Last but not least. DC's human target has a new problem, a jealous Green Lantern. Tom King and Greg Smallwood's uh, DC Black Label Maxi series, Human Target has already put its protagonist, Christopher Chance, through the ringer, and Chance's growing list of enemies goes cosmic in the upcoming third issue. Uh, Chance's latest assignment involved him standing in for Lex Luthor, and blah blah blah. I'm looking for the Green Lantern part. Uh, all right. So apparently, in Human Target number three, Christopher Chance is a man on a deadline and working to solve a crime that might be unsolvable. Despite his better judgment, he's falling for his lead suspect, and her violent ex-boyfriend isn't happy about it. Oh, and that ex—he's a Green Lantern, huh? Yeah, and it's the one you would expect it to be. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to have a little bit of a, a suspense, but if you if you scroll through the preview, you see exactly who it is. Mm-hmm. Which I didn't even have to go that far because I was like, "Yeah, we know who this is. <laughs> you know who this is, folks." I had a feeling that's who it was, but mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I want to maintain some of the suspense. <laughs> yeah, have you read any of this book? 
I think I read the first issue is all right, but you know, I think I couldn't get over the fact that it was just like a regular dude putting himself in danger all the time. Right. Hey, you don't have to have a cape to be a hero. How can I tell us that? Yeah. Um, but at any rate, folks, that is the end of the news section. We got one last ad read for you. Last ad read of the night, and because I am exhausted, literally falling asleep at the at the controls. We, you know what we're going to read. Keep our podcast free by shopping at Amazon. Visit cspn.us and click the Keep Our Podcast Free link at the top of the page. That's at cspn.us. From there, scroll down and click on the Amazon link to shop. Purchase items from Amazon as you normally would, whether it's books, music, electronics, jewelry, apparel, Marvel Legends, or late Christmas presents. For every purchase made on Amazon through our link, Amazon sends the CSPN a payment... It helps us keep the Comic Book Chronicles podcast free for our listeners at no extra cost to you. Amazon.com through CSPN.us. Do it today. Ah. I did that to myself. Boop. All right, folks, we are at the end of this here uh, Comic Book Chronicles, the last one of the year. We are recording this on... Um, uh, uh, twelve thirty. Um, and we got one more day to go uh, of this particular year. Uh, weirdly coming under the wire. That's what kind of funny for us. Um, <laughs> do you have any comic book based either resolutions and or New Year's intentions? Uh, you know what? I actually haven't thought. Well, I actually have thought about it, but I haven't put that much thought into it. Uh, and I feel like that's probably something we will definitely get to on the year end show. But for now. I yeah, I, I, it's probably one of the same ones I still had, and it's like kind of branch out into stuff that I that I don't normally um, gravitate towards. Like there's there's a lot in comics media, and uh, there's a lot that we miss out on because not necessarily that we're focused on the big two, but we get a lot more of the big two books um, mm-hmm. more often than not. Uh, right. And we have done a, a better job of kind of uh, you know highlighting some stuff that that are not from the big two because we we definitely have but I want to continue to do that for the most part right and 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 you know i I definitely followed up on one of mine which is to get more uh familiar with anime and manga stuff so that is something i definitely did follow up on and obviously it it definitely benefited you know i definitely took advantage of the uh, the the extra time uh that uh some of pandemic living gave me to get into that and really just kind of sat down and binged like a madman (laughs) <laughs> uh, some some of these um, uh, uh, anime series and got caught up. So, um, you know, I definitely followed through on that. And, you know, I, I, I think that's what I'm going to try to continue to do and maybe diversify my portfolio of anime uh, and manga because obviously I definitely tend towards the things that appeal to me as an American comic book, uh, superhero comic book fan. And there are... Uh, genres of manga and anime just as there are different genres of comic books in america that deserve their own spotlight and deserve a little bit more attention from myself as a reader and as a critic as it were so um you know in in that regard uh i i i'm in the same uh uh, I, i i'm of the same mind as roddy cat with his main uh, resolution and or New Year's intention. 
Yeah, I am very. I've been very happy with uh, with Age of Seventy going through this uh, this journey of his with the anime. Now, granted, I also probably could use more uh, going down the the manga line, but I've I've definitely have. I'm already. I have been a uh, anime fan for years, so uh, you know. So, so some of the stuff that he's just getting to, some 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 stuff that's kind of, with the exception because he actually got ahead of me in a couple of, couple of more recent things, more recent popular things. Uh, but yeah, I, I I have been enjoying his journey through anime <laughs> quite quite yeah, lovely. Yeah, yeah. What I would say is that you know, like I I've hit uh, something of a lull um, uh, as I'm trying to find uh, different things to kind of dive into. I think I might try just dive right into Fire Force oh, yes. next because uh, you know I've heard good things about it. Um, you know, I, I'm keeping up with uh, Demon Slayer as it's coming out with the the newest stuff, and uh, Attack on Titans not far away. Mm-hmm. Oh, you've also you the did, next month. Yeah, you also dipped your toes into sports anime in a way because didn't you watch uh, Hayuki? I watched Hayuki all the way yeah, through. Haikyuu. Yeah, so yeah, they, I watched you know. Haikyuu all the way through, and it's a, it's one of the best anime I've watched. It's a great, great. It's it's great. There's, there's I can't a... recommend. Enough. Yeah, there's been a lot of consensus about about that particular one being being really good, and I I fairly certain I've watched a couple of episodes, but I've never gone through the whole series yet. So it's absolutely worth it. Absolutely mm. worth it. What sucks about Haikyuu is that it's only on Crunchyroll. Well, yeah, if you don't have a Crunchyroll thing, well, I mean, there's this you don't need it. You can watch right, it for you free. Right. You just have to watch it with ads if you're watching on the TV. Exactly. Or if you're watching on the computer, you don't get ads. Exactly. But uh, you know, at the end of the day. Uh, you know, if it was something where you could, where it was a little bit more widespread, like Demon Slayer, you know, like Demon Slayer is on Netflix, I think. That's correct. Yeah, a lot of more popular anime yeah, is, is not, on Netflix. Is in is in multiple places. Exactly. Exactly. You so. know, Netflix doesn't have the latest uh, uh, episodes of uh, of Demon Slayer. Yet. That's only on Hulu, as uh, in addition to Crunchyroll and Funimation. So, um, hmm. so yeah, you know, that's that's. You know that that would be my one of my resolutions. I'm going to try to keep up on. I would also try to keep up on more, trying to get to the drawing table more often, even if it's just to hit a couple of pages in the sketchbook here and there. Uh, you know, I fall into this bad habit of essentially drawing for the most part only during October for Inktober right. and not doing anything else during the year, and that's a terrible habit because that's just not, you know, for, for, for a skill that you want to try to get better at, you can, you just need to practice it. You can't just wait to like kind of cram that practice into one month of the year. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's true. So I, the, I just have to make time to just do, you know, even if it's just a couple of drawings a week or, uh, you know, several drawings a month, as long as it's not just kind of crammed into October, then, you know, you, you can't help but get better. So, right. I related resolutions and New Year's intentions. Uh, I heard that the other day. You know, some people don't make uh, uh, resolutions, but they they have intentions to go in certain directions. And so, my intent is to you know do more of this, but not necessarily resolving to do it. So, right. Not you know not not make a resolution that that's going to be a big change in life. Right, because people tend to make resolutions and then drop them the next week, and it and it ends up being meaningless. So, exactly. That's, a, so. that's a definitely a different way the way to to look at that, or, or probably a better way to look at it. Right. Uh, so ultimately, you know, in terms of comic book related things, 
you know, I, I've done a decent job of following through on some of it, but there's still, uh, you know, some some progress to be done in terms of the others, you know, some of the other things. So, uh, you know, although, you know, it, it does help, uh, believe it or not, folks, before we sign off, it does help to actually uh, verbalize this stuff because uh, at the end of the day and discuss it with other people of like mind because, you know, other like minded people because it helps you to, you know, kind of actualize it and do mm-hmm. and, and, and make good on it because if it wasn't for this show, I don't know if I would have gotten through my uh, collection organizing. Yeah, and that was—that's one of the biggest things I ever did in terms of my collection, and it's still proven to be a gigantic boon for me to to, to this day, knowing exactly what's in my collection. You know, and having it uh, computerized and and and. You know, investing in that in you know one of these collector programs where you can use the barcode to uh, to 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 enter your um, uh, your 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 weekly pull list and enter that into your uh, 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 database without having to go through individually and finding the title and whatnot. I just clear, scan the barcode and make sure it's the right one to be done with it. Mm-hmm. Which, if you got a lot, I can both of us can attest to. It's tedious. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it took a while, but it got done. It got done, you know, and and and, and to finally get to the realization that I've got like and now I've got over ten thousand, which is nothing to sneeze at, but it's not as much as some some psychopaths out there, and I jokingly call them psychopaths, um, because that's a lot of comics, you know. Mm-hmm. Right, or a collection of anything. Because I think I was watching um, someone the 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 Boba Fett thing on Disney Plus, and they talk about Rancho Rancho uh, Obi Wan and the the Star Wars collection there. Oh yeah, that was oh jeez, do <laughs> that. So if you're a collector of anything, like trying to have to organize and categorize any of any kind of collections is just going to be some sort of a feat if you haven't done it already. Right, right. If you don't start when it's within some some level of reason then it's going to just be that many times worse when you finally get to doing it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there, I, there's still, as I look behind me, a lot of um, things I need to do with my uh, various collections and uh, this particular room in, in general. So that's a work in progress. Um, but anyway, that being said, folks, uh, we are looking forward to get it, go into the new year with some, um, I'm not going to say renewed verve because it's not like we ever really lost steam on the show, <laughs> but um, you know, hopefully, look into the new year for some some new stuff and uh, you know, a, a, another great year of comics. And again, like I said, we will probably, hopefully, this time for certainly get our year end deliberations out of the way, whether it just be with Agent Seventy I or hopefully the whole crew. Um, but stay tuned for that after the after the beginning of the year. That being said, unless uh, Agent Seven, you got something else you want to say real quick before I sign it off? Uh, there it is. There happy it is. New year. <laughs> In this country, we say Happy New Year. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> oh man, I need to watch that, that 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 movie again. Trading Places is real good. And that being the case, folks, uh, this has been the Comic Chronicles. Peace. Peace. One. My time is up. Peace out to Brooklyn. Thank you.